Bienvenidos. Welcome to the DOS Champions Podcast. We have a shit ton of content for you guys today, so we're going to fly through this stuff. I'm joined by my good man, Ryan Tooney. Ryan, what's up? How are you? I'm doing good. Uh, hope everyone had a good Thanksgiving. It was a nice little break from, you know, work. Uh, and then you know, taking it easy with family is always a good time. How are you doing, Alex? I'm doing all right. I'm, I'm right there with you. My wife and I are expecting our first kid here in February, and so a lot of preparation for that and a lot of time with the family over the holidays. So um, this is the agenda for today. We're going to go over the European Champions League. Um, that's how we're going to start, and we're going to review match day 13, and we're going to follow that with what's happened in match day 14 so far. We'll close out with uh, Pepe and David Ochoa talking shit to one another. Again, that's a lot of content, so we're going to fly like the wind. So, Ryan, why don't you kick us off on Champions League? Yeah, so, uh, but this is, I guess, a week ago now is when this would have begun with Group E. Bayern Munich roll on, you know, getting a 2-1 victory. I guess we can just say, wow, only 2-1? What's up, Bayern? And then uh, the big result here and where most of the talking points really come is with Barcelona-Benfica, because a 0-0 draw puts... Barcelona in a position where they are not assured of a knockout round spot at all. This would be the first time in, for me, living memory that they don't make the knockout rounds of the Champions League. Um, yeah, it's uh, it'd be an interesting situation and just add to their woes if they were unable to qualify. How do you see this thing playing out? So it's going to be tricky because... Barcelona has Bayern Munich, and while Bayern Munich have nothing to play for, I don't ever see them as a team that's going to just not put a decent team out there and go for the win. And then Benfica have the you know the whipping boys of the group in Kiev. So how do I see it playing out? Um, honestly, I think I think Barcelona might end up in third place. Yeah, I don't disagree. The club seems to be in disarray, and after Lewandowski wasn't given the golden or uh, the Ballon d'Or, I, I wouldn't be shocked if Munich just wants to make a point and goes on an absolute rampage. They, they strike me as the team that will play with a chip on their shoulder. Um, that's, well, a, that's a great point, actually. I didn't, I didn't consider the Ballon d'Or snub. And though, uh, you know, Messi doesn't play for Barcelona at all there. Barcelona is just the next on the menu. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, while we're on Barcelona, um, is Dest really on the outside looking in with Javi as the, coach have you heard these comments and rumors yeah but how many games have actually been played i know he got a little bit of time off the bench and then he was on the bench and didn't get into the game at all in a subsequent game i don't know for me it's just a bit early to be saying that type of stuff especially because the comments that danny elvis have made about um dest before moving to barcelona were really positive i, I i'm just not sure and i don't want to judge judge too much without seeing without seeing some more yeah um we might revisit that subject in a future pod for the sake of time let's keep moving forward to group f um we've got villarreal zero manchester united two united already look like a better team and then we've got young boys three atalanta three that's a fantastic result for young boys they should have won that game considering how great of a team atalanta have been ryan where's your head at uh, yeah, United definitely needed a result like this. It's a good way to start after getting rid of good old Ole Gunnar Skullshire. But 
yeah, we'll see. We'll see where they end up. They are through, so that's big for them. Uh, the Atalanta Young Boys one is man. At, the Young Boys really needed the the full three points here if they wanted to give themselves a good shot to get into the knockout round or even the Europa League for that matter. Um, but your boy Jordan Pifolk, he uh, he got a goal. You got anything to say about that? I mean, I've been talking about Pifolk for a long time. It seems to be as simple as. He, he starts and he plays, he scores. Um, I've been watching more and more young boys games, and I, I question if the reason why he's not playing on the team is just based on formation and fit. They seem to be like a lot more active, and he seems to be this like tower in the middle of the pitch that isn't quite as mobile as the rest of the players. But P-Folk's fantastic, and that goal was a matter of somebody like having a 50-50 ball to win in the box and like crushing it home. Um, I, I really think he's like our most complete nine at this point um yeah i would just keep an eye on pifo uh, i'm a big fan of him yeah and you know a second glance at the table here they got four points and atalanta and uh Villarreal are sitting on six and seven points respectively young boys do have to play manchester united united don't have a ton to play for so a win for them gets them gets them somewhere uh it'll be tough for them though uh, moving on to the, I guess we probably called it the group of death to begin the competition. This is going to be the best group to watch on this final match day. Uh, this is Lille, Salzburg, Sevilla, and Wolfsburg. Um, so all the Bergs and all the Americans as well. So uh, Sevilla got a 2-0 win over Wolfsburg, ending their their run. Um, I think a couple pods ago we had said that if, hey, Wolfsburg's at the bottom now, but they keep winning. They put themselves in contention. And uh, Leo getting a 1-0 win is huge here for them. So the group right now sits where it's Leo on 8, Salzburg on 7, Sevilla on 6, and Wolfsburg on 5. You know, every team within three points of one another. I'm not sure if it's the case that literally any of the two teams could qualify, but I think at worst, Lille can end up in the Europa League, and maybe not. Maybe they're through already. Anyways, this is the one to watch. Uh, if if you're like, oh, I don't really care about the other groups too much, just something's going to go down in this, and it's going to go right to the end. So it, it should be good good content here. Next Agreed. Week. Agreed. And if you don't like it because it's the most competitive group, then you should like it because it's the American group. Yeah. <laughs> or both. <laughs> or both. Yeah. All right. Moving on to group H. Um, I, it's pretty simple. I believe it's H. I, yeah. Ache. Yeah. H. H. Um, Is the Ache. English say? <laughs> yeah, that's right. Um, Malmo won. Zenit won. Chelsea roll Juve 4 0. Um, it's straightforward. I mean, Chelsea and Juve are through. Yeah, they are. Uh, and Chelsea are very, very good right now. Um, so I raised can, the, Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, they can just... Yeah, you, you raise a question. Sorry, uh, I see your thunder there here a bit. No, it's, it's cool. You're answering it for me. I mean, are they yeah. the best football club in the world right now? It's hard to just overtly say no, isn't it? Um, if you look at who do you actually think can win the Champions League? I can't remember where I... I heard this discussion at I actually I think it was Jamie Carragher after um after the the PSG 
God, who did they play? The PSG City game. And they were talking about, like, the front three for PSG, how they're so good, but, like, they're all kind of passengers, and can you have those kind of players in a team if you actually want to win the Champions League? And his thing was kind of no, basically, and then was ba- ended up going, it's Bayern, Chelsea, City, and Liverpool that are the real... um you know, chances to win this competition this year. And I think it's hard to say Chelsea isn't one of the best teams right now. Maybe Bayern's better than them or maybe Liverpool, but I'm a bias there. They're incredible. They're able to fill in uh, players into all kinds of different positions. Their coach is obviously brilliant, knows how to utilize his players and their skill sets, not just like at the, uh, uh, like the beginning of a game. We'll get to this a bit later um, in the EPL review, but also like further into a game how to like take a guy and put him in a different spot to get the most out of him there given what the the game circumstances are so yeah they're the full package maybe they are the best team right now yeah out of um all the teams that compete with them there's one that was left off and they happen to be in group c uh Bastikas one ix2 in group c and then uh sporting three dortmund one dortmund is bounced Ajax is the team that I kind of look at, and a lot of it, I, I'll admit, is wishful thinking. I want like the dark horse team to compete, but um, Ajax have been lights out this tournament. Yeah, and I don't want to get too like bah humbug about this, um, but it is a weaker group, and the their main competitor, who you thought would have been their main competitor, was severely weakened through the fall, being Dortmund. Um, so I don't, I mean, but you know, five wins and five games of the Champions League group stages is that that's 15 points. Like it's a big deal. And they got one of the leading goal, goal scorers in Sebastian Haller. So there'll be a handful in, in the round of 16, any of the second place teams coming out are going to, going to be like, Ajax. Uh, I guess we got them, but how much better is it really than any of the top dogs? Yeah. Well said. I, that's good context. Um, describing the strength of the group and the health of Dortmund. Um, Dortmund are officially bounced from Champions League contention. There's a good shot they're going to make it into Europa League. Um, with the with the players returning to their squad, I think Europa League could be a spot where they just absolutely dominate. Yeah, it could be an interesting run for them in the spring. I'm sure they'd be disappointed to not be in the uh, in in the knockout rounds, especially Holland, who really likes to score in the Champions League. But this can be the kind of thing where a team gets healthy in the spring, and if they're in good form in the group, they might they might make a or sorry in good form in the league, they might make a good run in the uh, Europa League here. So, yeah, this this will be interesting. We'll cover the Europa League a little bit more this spring as well. Yeah, I'm I'm absolutely interested in doing that as well. Um, group D, Inter two, Shakhtar nil. Uh, I shot the Sheriff nil. Real three. Yeah. Um, it was fun while it lasted, Sheriff. Yeah, we'll see you in the Europa League. Uh, it was a lot of fun. I still got a soft spot for you. I mean, you got a Sheriff badge. So, you know, being an American, I have a little bit of a like, oh, yeah, Sheriff badge. I, c- I know that. <laughs> I guess that deci- it depends on what side of the polit- political spectrum you fall on. Uh, maybe, maybe not. You know, I think it's a piece of Americana either way. I imagine that's why they put it on there. Um, I, love, I love it. Yeah, he would. <laughs> uh, another team that uh, I think depends upon the side of the political spectrum you fall on is Real Madrid. Uh, they 
looks like they've cleaned up their act here a little bit. Getting 12 points from five games is pretty solid. And then Inter getting through as well. Um, it's really no surprise in the end. No, it's not. And um, the anger towards Carlo Ancelotti leads me to want to see Real fall from grace, but they they got it right. They've kind of corrected their play. Um, it's amazing to me. Luka Modric still doing his thing at the age he is. Yeah, he he's pretty good. Um, um, it's amazing. I think you've said this a few times, you know, guys that end up getting better and better with age. If they can keep their legs going, which isn't a given at all, you know, somebody like Ryan Giggs, I think, is the last guy I can really remember having the, the type, the ability to keep going physically the way Modric has. Uh, and th- you obviously get more and more game intelligent as you go, and it, his body hasn't broken down yet. So, yeah, he's a legend. Yeah, no doubt. Um, moving on to the final group, or not, second to final group, Group A, City 2, PSG 1, and then Bruga getting absolutely crushed by Leipzig, 0-5, uh, to five, City and PSG through. Yeah, it's nice for um, Jesse Marsh, though. I think he wasn't on the bench for this last game to get a 5-0 win. Uh, I touched on City and PSG a little bit earlier in that City are just, they're a more complete team than PSG in terms of their their cohesion and how they approach the game. So the result's not that surprising. It probably could have been a lot worse. Uh yeah, it, once again, kind of a straightforward group. And um, if results hold, Leipzig is going to make it to the Europa League, which I think for Jesse is going to end up being a, 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 this is kind of what we expected you to do in this Champions League group. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, and hopefully the results do hold. Um, I do not want to see Jesse in hot water. Yeah, the only thing I'll say back is that like, I am kind of excited to see Tejan Buchanan play for Karl Brugge, and if they were able to make it to the Europa League, it would be fun to see his skills get utilized in that in that area. Yeah, I don't disagree. I, I think Tejan is a lot better than people understand, and um, I would I would love to see him get the opportunity to compete in a tournament like that. Yeah, knock out, knock out European football is always a good place for, especially guys that are spicy little wingers that can that can do something to showcase their skills. I just imagine him terrorizing the hell out of another team on in a counterattack situation. Hopefully, yeah, that like, team is not the U.S. in January. Oh God. Um. Yeah, I, I seriously hope not. Um. All right, Group B: Liverpool beat Porto. Athleti lose zero uh, one to Milan. That game was awesome, by the way. I, I got the chance to see that, and um, you know, if, if there's a team that's going to beat Athleti at playing dirty, it's going to be an Italian team, and that's exactly what this was. Yeah, Diego Simeone is you're kind of like. You know, not what you used to be. I don't know. I think Porto, though, could give Atleti a run for their money in terms of playing dirty. They got Pepe and we were, the original. We were, the original, yeah, the, the original dirt ball. Um, yeah, we were talking about this um, before uh, before any of these games were played in Champions League. Like, why, like what's go, Liverpool are going to go through, but what's yeah. going to happen with Milan, Porto, and Atleti? And we were kind of like, well, Porto, Atleti is what we're going to have to look at. And, like, Atleti is like a... You know, they're a gritty team, but like the Portuguese, they're known for that and the players that they have on that team. Um, well, they also made that nice run last spring. So they, they kind of are 
in a good spot and it's mostly the same squad. So it's not surprising that they're putting forth a good showing uh, in the fall here. Um, no, I agree. I think it, you were getting at this, but the really interesting part for me is that Milan has a legitimate chance here to be the team that gets into the Europa League. Or really, these teams are sitting on, um, well, Liverpool's far and away. They beat Porto. Yep. Like they're convincing. They, they're good, you know, but like the other teams are five points for Porto, four points for Milan, four points for Atletico. Milan hosts Liverpool with Liverpool has literally nothing to play for. And then Porto and Atleti play. And that game is who hosts. That's kind of important. Porto hosts that game. Atletico could be in some real trouble here. They need to, they need to pull out a good performance. Um, Otherwise, they could literally be eliminated from Europe. And for a team like them, that would be, yeah, real bad. You just wouldn't expect that. Oh, Luis Suarez is going to have to sharpen those teeth. Yeah, <laughs> I'm sure I'm sure he's got a guy for that. Oh, he's definitely got a guy. Um, he's the Frank Reynolds of professional, <laughs> so- professional soccer. All right. All right. Well, um, that was great. I'm glad we got through uh, – Champions League in that short of time. That was only about 15 minutes. So moving on to match day 13. Um, do we want to start with... Yeah, we'll start with Norwich Wolves. And I'll just say that yeah. this, this, was a great, this was a great result for Norwich. Um, Wolves, Wolves are like an ascending team. They're playing really well. There's like a whole bunch of things that are like clicking in their, in their squad. And um, Norwich didn't just play defensively the whole game. They generated a great amount of offense. And they tie nil-nil. And it's a good result for them. They keep grinding out points. Yeah, uh, a point is a point, especially for a team sitting in the bottom of the, uh, you know, bottom of the table. Uh, Wolves also are a really good team to get a point against. They've didn't they just beat West Ham? Yeah, yeah. They're and and they've been on a really strong run of form. They have some very good players. Uh, yeah, this is a great result for Norwich. Uh, next result here is Liverpool four, Southampton zero. Um, all I can really say for this is just nom nom. They just they ate them up, man. Oh, I was a shellacking. Uh, the first goal was phenomenal. I, I really like the underlap from Robertson there. The way they're able to open open the team the team up like that. The movement from Liverpool and their understanding with one another is on, on another level at times. I think this is the second league game in a row. They scored four goals. So, yeah, you know, we, I raised the question earlier is, is Chelsea the best, uh, the best soccer team in the world right now? And like on paper, it's hard to disagree with that, right? They're like at the top of the premier league. They won the champions league. Like they've got this super deep squad with this like badass coach and all these great players. Um, but like, I low key think like, Liverpool are just so good. They're on like they're they're on this crazy tear. Like that smash mouth heavy metal football that Klopp likes to play is in full effect. Um, I'm really excited about this team and like everywhere on the field, they're so deep. Their defending options are so deep. Their midfield options, their strikers. I mean, they're so much fun to watch. Yeah, don't talk them up too much. There's an important game coming uh, tomorrow, actually. So. All right, all right, I'll, I'll curb my enthusiasm. <laughs> all right, so let's move on. Uh, Crystal Palace one, uh, Aston Villa two. Steven Gerrard, man, I mean, he is kicking ass. Yeah, he like banned ketchup from the dining hall and, and shit. So like, 
they obviously get way better as soon as he does that. But no, honestly, I, I think um, I think he's got him in a way better spot. He's got him focused. Uh, I think he's got him feeling good about themselves. And you know what? This is a pretty good squad, and they made some some good moves. Everybody thought over the summer. Clearly, losing Grealish was was a difficult thing for the team to adapt to. But it feels like maybe this is kind of getting them over this hump. And yeah, this is a really important win. Hell yeah. Um, he's keeping that momentum alive. I'm really happy for him. Um, next game, we've got Brighton nil, Leeds nil. I don't know how to say it other than like both of those teams needed something more than one point. Um, Graham Potter and company are, have really been on the skid recently. And Marcelo Bielsa's boys are just like not really living up to expectations. Yeah, they did get a positive result today. We'll talk about that more later. But yeah, this game was very just blah. Not much else to say. Agreed. Um, City 2, West Ham 1. Um, West Ham are on the skid. Uh, they were occupying the number four slot in the uh, in the table, and, and they no longer do. Yeah, it's interesting how quickly things can go downhill, especially because that win over Liverpool was, was pretty you know, not convincing win, but it was convincing of their quality. Uh, so it's, yeah, it's interesting to see them kind of drop, what, six points in two games here against Wolves yep. and City. Um, yeah, the top four race is going to get really interesting, especially when a team like Leicester put in performances like this. Yeah, Leicester four, Watford two. Um, dude, their offense is just, absolute fire and i keep saying this like and maybe i should just stop because it hasn't happened pats and daca isn't like even getting on the pitch at this point but they don't need him to because jamie vardy is on absolute fire yeah i believe he just lives off red bull um and just goes 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 just uh, cane sugar yeah pure cane sugar um no I, I don't I think they want to use Daka, but uh you know Vardy's too good and he's too experienced and the goals those goals were awesome. Uh Leicester's a really fun team when they're firing. Um and you know Watford's not that bad either, but they can't hang when uh when Leicester is playing like this. I'm I'm right there with you. Um moving on, Brentford won, Everton nil. Um uh, people want Rafa sacked. I think it's crazy. I don't. I don't know how Everton are supposed to win with the with the team that they're putting out each week. Yeah. Um, while technically Liverpool has had more injuries than Everton, uh, Everton's are hitting them so very hard in so many meaningful ways. Um, I don't. Everton's such a weird team to me because every year you feel like they do things that should make them good, and then they. They just aren't that good suddenly. It's just kind of broken record because I basically said the same stuff last time we hit a podcast. But uh, yeah, I always I always find myself wanting when I'm trying to put my finger on what exactly is going on there over on the blue side of Merseyside. Yeah, I'll just say that like three out of their best four players have missed more games than they've played. Richarlison, Calvert-Lewin, and Decore, I believe have missed more games than they've played. DeQuarry has played the most out of all of them, but Calvert-Lewin basically hasn't played all season. And Richarlison has been missing for quite a while. He came back and then immediately got injured again. So I like, you're not going to win with Rondon. You're not going to win with Tom Davies through the middle. Um, it is what it is. And so they're going to not get relegated and finish in the middle of the table. And hopefully Rafa doesn't get sacked. It's insane to me that people would want that. 
um, and they get a few dollars and cents to spend on some players that Rafa thinks are worth a dollar. He's done a great job with a small a small amount of assets he's been able to play with signing Townsend and Damari Gray. Yeah, if anybody has a good idea of who a viable alternative to Rafa Benitez would be for Everton right now, you should hit us up on Twitter and uh, let us know because we're kind of at a loss. And then uh, Bruce Arena, Bruce Arena, uh, (laughs) get get it done. Um, Speaking of getting it done, this game got postponed. So it was done before right, it even this game began. did not get done. <laughs> yeah. uh, right. But I really wish that Spurs Burnley would have happened in the snow, like Burnley in the snow. I, I feel like they canceled it specifically because they knew that Burnley would make snow angels of Spurs just outlined in their blood. Um, I, I don't know. Yeah, Burnley the, in the snow would have been magical. Yeah, yeah, it would have been great. I think like when they shank the players and they're bleeding out on the field, it's a lot more visible what the damage was when there's snow on the ground. So I would have Burnley, that. our Burnley thing is getting worse and worse every time. But well, they, they get extra. They get them. they get even. Yeah, they would get even more wasted before the game when it's cold out. So that would have been fun to watch. Unfortunately, we didn't get to see it. Uh, yeah, and then uh, on to I guess what was supposed to be the, the marquee game of the weekend, and maybe it was, maybe it wasn't. Um, one for Chelsea, one for Manchester United. Uh, United again getting a solid result in two in a row now since uh, Ole has been gone. Uh, didn't start Ronaldo. That's kind of noteworthy. Uh, and then had a good result. I'm not sure you can you can play Ronaldo t- for the whole game against a team like Chelsea if you want to you know play team defense. But yeah, what are your thoughts on this game? Um, yeah, I mean United look way better. Um, so I'll give that to them. Pulisic he played well. Um, I think Jorginho really screwed up in that game. He he had like a pretty critical error. Um, and like didn't even try to recover once he had made the error. He like turned the ball over near midfield as the last man right to Jaden Sancho's feet. And it was like a two V two V Mendy. Um, yeah. So that's kind of what I thought about the game. And then like, aside from all that, like I just, I think like the effects of signing Cristiano Ronaldo have been more detrimental to the squad than they've been positive. And I, I don't know, like they're making the right move with the, with the, um, you, Brian, you called this man, you called this guy was going to be hired. So maybe well, I didn't should... call that he was going to be hired. I basically said that he would be the ideal. So I, in the previous EPL based podcast said that I thought Ralph Ragnick would be the ideal selection for Manchester, Manchester United to hire as a coach, but basically that it wasn't possible for them to make that type of good decision, which I was incorrect about. It is possible for them to make that good decision. <laughs> which maybe they're off on off to a better spot now uh they could they could really take this and run with it i think ralph ragnick is an, a phenomenal coach they just look at the work he did at hoffenheim and the entire salzburg not salzburg but red bull program is you know is uh basically his doing um it'll be really interesting to see what he does with the team if they're able to move forward with him and then find a, a full-time coach in the in the summer that fits in with his philosophy and then retain Ragnick is their kind of like an an advisory role, a a director of football. I believe they have somebody in that position already, but kind of let him be the the guy that's given the the idea, man. United could be, um, could be a force. The Glazers would do well to kind of be more hands-off in terms of maybe they have been hands-off and that's not the right way to put it, but, their personnel 
selection seems to be too marketing focused. And if they just make it so that they let football people make those type of decisions and give them the same amount of money they've been spending on players the entire time, Manchester United is going to be a handful for any team in the world in a few years. And hopefully they they just fuck this up. <laughs> um, yeah, man. I, I would personally like to see less competition in Everton's way, but um, yeah, they could be a force to be reckoned with. Um, I thought this part was interesting, and I want to get your take on it. So Ronaldo sits, and that coupled with what's happened with Mason Greenwood this season, that that kid was off to a ridiculous start of the season. Like he was scoring like every game. Um, there was so much excitement about the way that he had even like physically matured. But he got to play in this most recent fixture, I believe. Um, but Ronaldo was on the bench, and like, what do you think is going to happen with that? I mean, do you think we're going to see like? more Ronaldo on the bench and like more Sancho and like Greenwood playing. And if that is the case, like, is that the right or wrong move? And what effect is that going to have in the locker room with Ronaldo being the guy that he is? I just want to get your take on that. I have trouble believing that they're going to be able to keep Ronaldo off the field too much. I think philosophically it makes sense once Ragnarok is entirely established that they would want him on the bench because he's not capable of doing the things or presumably isn't capable of doing the things that are required for the type of system that Ralph likes. But I'm not sure. I've heard other takes that it's like, well, if they they uh, initiate the press in this way, then he only needs to make this one type of uh, curved run in order to cut off a passing lane most of the time, and the other guys end up doing the harder pressing. So I, I'm really not sure until until I get a look at how they they start setting it up. Generally speaking, though, from like a opportunity standpoint for somebody like Mason Greenwood, and then also what that him not getting as many opportunities and what you consider his main position at the nine and being kind of forced off to one of the winger spots. And then there being like less time for all the younger developing guys, you know, Sancho Rashford, uh, even Martial, who's not developing so much anymore, but it, it makes it so that, you know, Ronaldo's kind of a black hole in terms of the the minutes and whatnot. And it, and it definitely disrupts their ability to be as fluid with giving people minutes and letting them develop in different areas. Yeah, I, I tend to agree. Um, so it sounds like we both can size up the situation in the same way, but where this where this is going, we don't know. Yeah, not until we get a look at how they actually line up and under under Ralph and it really might take a, a little bit of time to uh, see a clear picture here. It's crazy uh, to think that United but, have gotten all the airtime on our podcast over like the last four to five weeks. You know, Nick and Dan are going to be so happy about that, but you and I, if we, if we could have looked into a crystal ball a year ago and known that this is where we would be, we would just be so disappointed in ourselves. Yeah. Um, you know, everybody likes a tire fire though. So <laughs> <laughs> okay, I don't know what to say. <laughs> Anyways, uh, speaking of tire fires, um, Arsenal beat Newcastle 2-0. So we're on to Newcastle relegation watch here. Martinelli certainly sealed it with that phenomenal first touch uh, goal, that like kind of over the back kind of thing and in, in stride. That was crazy. I, I don't know. I I love those kind of goals. Yeah, some side netting, first touch action, oh, like. That was awesome. That's like some like school ground type of stuff. Um, 
I was worried that he was going to get absolutely clobbered by the Newcastle goalkeeper, but um, no, that was that was a great finish and took some serious balls to execute. No pun intended. Yeah, generally, Arsenal look like they're, you know, aside from the 4-0 loss to Liverpool, but who doesn't lose like that to Liverpool these days? Um, they are on a really good uptick. One of the, uh, the other teams that's going to make the top four really interesting. But losing Saka, uh, I don't know how long he is injured for exactly, but that's not a good, you know, that's not a good thing. No, it's definitely no bueno. They have guys that can replace him in the rotation. Like, um, they can move people around, but like even like Pepe can come in. Um, is it Pepe or Pepe? You know, I'm I think it's mixed. Pepe. Pepe, yeah. Um, but the other thing to note about Arsenal is like Kieran Tierney hasn't been playing for them. Like he hasn't even been healthy as of late. So they're going to be getting him back soon. Um, so they they lose a guy and they get another one back. I don't think the Saka injury is too severe. Um, I don't know the detail. I don't know too many of the details around it, but the fact that he was able to walk off and the fact that he didn't push the injury, um, those are generally good signs. But this is yeah. coming from a guy who thought Weston McKinney had a torn meniscus. <laughs> That's true, but like, how could you not be nervous about that? I think all of us were like very nervous about that until they were like, "He's day to day," and we're all like, "Oh, okay, don't play him until after the winter break, please." <laughs> uh, Anyways, sticking with the Newcastle um, theme here, we're going to go into a couple games that happened today, two EPL ones and then one um, absolute shellacking over in Italy. So Newcastle and Norwich, Newcastle goes down to 10 men like immediately, gets a penalty goal, and Norwich, come on, what more do you want? Just win this game, you know? But they couldn't, so it ended up winning 1-1. I see... There was some hate thrown Sargent's way once again. Uh, was it from Norwich fans? Yeah. No, this time it was. This time it oh, was. Whoa. Yeah, yeah. Um, here, here's the beautiful thing about what we do at DAS Champions. It's like we definitely have our players that we want to be successful, and we have our players that we don't care for. The Ariolas are the players that we don't care for, and the Sargents and the Peppies are guys that we want to be successful. We never, we try not to talk about people in a super overly optimistic type of way. I will note that the reason why fans were upset at Sargent is because he didn't finish an opportunity in front of the goal, but that opportunity was intercepted and flicked out of, out of his range of possession. Maybe he could have um, tackled the defender, tackled the defender and like forced the ball into the back of the net. Like that, that probably could have happened, but I didn't interpret his gameplay as being poor. And as I was reading the comments and what people had to say, and it's really probably not even worth listening to. There were a lot of comments about like, Oh, he can't control the ball. He can't distribute the ball. And as I've watched him and keep in mind, like I've watched all these games. I've actually like turned off the Everton games to watch the replays of the Norwich games. He's doing a really good job. Like, maintaining possession and distributing the ball. So yeah, fans were outraged with him. I don't know what they expect. Um, it's not like anyone is scoring like a shit ton of goals on Norwich. And when you're tying Newcastle one, one after they go down a man within the first 10 minutes of the game, it's really hard to put that on the shoulders of one person. Um, but yeah, that's what's going on with Sargent. I'll have to go uh, check out some talk Norwich city videos later and see what what they think is going on. I always like to get that perspective. Yeah. Let me know what you, what you find out. Uh, but yeah, moving on to the other EPL game today, uh, Leeds got a win against crystal palace. Um, this is, this is good for Leeds. They really, really needed this. They were lingering near the bottom of the table. 
Uh, Crystal Palace, though, losing two in a row now, um, that's that's not good for them at all. But nope. yeah, this, for me, this is more about Leeds finally, uh, finally getting some points that they really needed. Yeah, agreed. Um, we've been kind of waiting for them to bounce back. And uh, yeah, Vieira has been like pretty streaky over at Crystal Palace. Yeah, he has been. I feel like they're basically safe from relegation, at least for the time being. They're not in a terrible spot, but, you know, it is very early still. And they've put together enough good performances for me to not be too fearful. Though now looking at it, it is there's like a log jam at 13 to 16 points from 17th to 11th place. So it's a lot of, yeah. a lot of, a lot of games left. Yeah. And a lot of stuff that could happen. And there's not like a ton of separation happening besides like a few, a few folks at the top, a few teams at the top. Um, so I think that like rounds out EPL coverage. I, we are going to touch on this match day 14 game that happened in Syria between Atalanta and um, Venice. Um, I think we've been, or at least me personally, I've been like super bullish on Testament. And so when I saw Testament was starting today, um, I cut the game on as I was working and, and watched the game and Busia was starting as well. Uh, but this game was like, it was like watching like the mighty ducks or the little giants or the big green at the very beginning of the movie when the team is awful and it's supposed to like illustrate how far the team comes. I'm just not convinced Venice will end up like any of the mighty ducks or the little giants or the big green teams. They looked horrible. And, Tasman and Busio, Tasman especially, looked really, really bad in this game. Um, I'll give credit where credit's due. Tasman did a few things well. His um, his ability to find progressive passes in really unique progressive passes and like use the strength of his legs to find like progressive passes you didn't even think were possible. That was present in the game, but he gave away possession in the midfield, and then later in the in the built on, in the run of play was megged for the first Atalanta goal. And there was like a goal that Atalanta scored where like it was, I forget the player who did it. There was a guy who scored a hat trick on their squad though. He like basically kicked it between Busio and Tessman who both like flailed their legs to try to intercept the shot. And the shot went into the back of the net and it was just like, this is got, this is like a fucking joke. Um, but it wasn't, it was just a poor performance and yeah, that's what happened to our boys. Yeah, it's uh, you know, always frustrating to uh have your have your guys play poorly. Uh it is always best though to take it take it as it is and you know, hopefully these guys th- this is this this shit happens, man. When you're the bottom feeders in a team and you got to play a super good team like Atalanta, sometimes you get smoked. And there's a lot for them to learn in this and taking it on the chin is it's it's good for him. I'm I'm not too worried about it, to be quite honest. I agree. I, I was ta- I was talking to someone today, and I basically said the best the best teacher is natural consequence. So, I guess yeah. this is like a great learning experience. Yeah, get better. Um, you can, because they can they can get better. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and they've already gotten so much better this season. Um, should we move into the segment of the pod that's going to make people unsubscribe? Um. Yeah. We have so many to lose, though. Right. All 15 followers. And <laughs> it's going to be sad that our parents and family stop yeah, listening. So does. <laughs> but those that yeah. I, I haven't already, you mean? Yeah. Right. Right. Um, dude, the Pepe Ochoa shit talking, the Pepe transfer fee, and where this whole situation and his rate and 
the spectacle that is Ricardo Pepe. Where is this all putting him? So why don't we start at the top? Yeah. Um, so did Pepe say anything back? I haven't heard Pepe say anything back. I don't. Think okay, I, I hadn't either, and I figured it'd be blowing up if we would have heard something. But yeah, yeah, carry on. Yeah, so I mean, more or less, like Achoa is is playing well in the playoffs, and his team is through. And he took a video, and he's like, "Hey, you got to get give that young player of the year award. Get take it from Pepe. Pepe, give it back." And I don't know if he specifically said give it to me, but he definitely said take it away from Pepe. And it was a controversial subject to begin with. Yeah, the the awarding of that was controversial. Um, you know, maybe a little bit political. Uh, for me, I kind of just take this shit talking almost at face value in a certain way. Um, like, I imagine these guys know each other pretty well. And some good shit talking is just really good for competition and also for the spectacle. spectacle. So, like, this type of thing is commonplace in the big sports in the united states and i it really doesn't bother me too much that like ochoa wants to adopt that like i don't know ron artest role or something like that like maybe not as crazy let's hope yeah but, like dennis like, rodman that yeah like, like it's okay you gotta have characters you know and if he, this guy wants to be a character and he's got decent skills to back it up i don't know man i i I, I'm just like not that worried about it. And like to anybody that gets all bent out of shape about it, I don't really have too much to say other than just don't be a bitch, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That's a, that's a good thing to say. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Stop being bitches, everyone. Yeah. Mom and dad. Um, so. Okay. But okay. So I'm like moving into this though, like, a lot of this is is based on the accolade that he received. Yeah, you know, young player of the year, and like this this shit talking probably wouldn't be happening without him receiving that reward. No, it, it probably wouldn't be happening, and uh, this is where it transitions into the more like you know. First off, and, and this is kind of as an aside: do we care or put that much stock in this type of award? Or do no, we, we don't really, give a shit. Yeah, or do we really feel that like prospective buyers of Pepe are going to want to pay more because of it necessarily? No, probably not. But like when you throw that thing on him, it does this kind of stuff does end up coming with the territory a bit and and questioning it is fair fair game, you know? And especially questioning it when there's the the sequence of award absurd price tag. Maybe some of you don't think it's an absurd price tag, but we're here to tell you it really is an absurd price tag. Yeah, it's insane. Um, I'm, I'm baffled that people are defending it. So the price tag that FC Dallas put on Ricardo Papi was between 17 and 19 million. Um, frame of reference. So let's give a few frame of references. Tejan Buchanan's going for 7 million to Club Ruga. Um, Ryan, what did what did Holland go to RB Salzburg for? Yeah, so when Salzburg purchased Holland, it was for eight point eight million, and I think this is a really relevant one to bring up because a lot of people would cite Salzburg as an ideal location for Pepe, and I agree that it is an ideal location for Pepe. But you have to understand that Salzburg doesn't pay seventeen to nineteen million basically for like any player. Um, just look through the tra their transfer history quick and you'll see that they don't they don't really mess around like that. They uh they tend to try to get value out of guys and develop them and sell them on. And 
this this type of price tag for Pepe puts him in a really difficult position. Um, the overvaluing of Pepe it inhibits his ability to move to like what would be an ideal developmental location. Like, what team actually has seventeen to nineteen million to spend on an eighteen-year-old? You got to ask yourself in, in the in the COVID economy, especially. They're they're not ones where he'd be an outright starter, and even if they were. The amount of pressure placed upon him, pressure is a good thing, but it also isn't something that you want to put on an 18-year-old, just not $17 million worth of pressure necessarily. Yeah, and you know, to to talk about like how that plays out more, the only the only type of place I could see affording him for that amount are like these giant clubs that are only going to purchase him for the rights right? The rights to, or the access to American markets. And that's not like where we should want Pepe going. Like there are, uh, there's been a ton of comments that I've, that I've heard. Like one of which was like, Hey, it's okay. Alfonso Davies went for 13 million. And my issue with that is like, you're taking the exception and you're turning it into the rule. Like no one should expect that Pepe is going to turn out to be like Alfonso Davies. You can want him to be, you can think it's within the realm of possibility. You should not expect it. But there's other there's other folks out there who are like, no, Liverpool wants him. No, United want him. No, Chelsea want him. He's that good. And the fact of the matter is like that. That's one of the worst. Those are some of the worst places he could possibly end up. Yeah, um, I think we really we really just want the best for this kid. We want pressure put upon him to develop, but we don't want it to be, you know, a pumping a bunch of pumping him up a bunch to then, you know, not allow him to just kind of have the freedom to be able to, to succeed. It's a, it's a really difficult thing for an 18 year old to go move overseas and, and, you know, become a, an elite player. There's a reason a lot of them end up going to places like Belgium and to Austria and the Netherlands. And and the limelight is a little bit less bright there and, and they have a chance to develop, but currently he's being priced out of those type of moves. So how do you see this thing playing out? With Pepe? Yeah. Um, I don't think anybody's going to want to accept that dollar amount. And I think he's probably going to end up going on loan somewhere. And where that destination will be, I'm not certain. But I wouldn't be surprised if it was a situation situation similar to what happened with DK, where he got a loan move. And, and I think he's maybe a little less of a, like, prove it than DK was, because he has some international experience now. Uh, but I think he's going to end up getting a move akin to Pep or akin to DK's where there's going to be like a option to buy at the end of the loan deal, which probably will be a mark that the team, even if he performs super well, will not be inclined to take. Right. And as a frame of reference, DK's mark was 20 million and it's bizarre because it was the optimal situation where if you wanted to put an egregious price tag on somebody the club would be inclined to commit to it based on the way dk performed i mean dk was like the guy that was like putting them in a situation to make it to the premier league and the fact that they said no to 20 million is really just a a very strong piece of evidence to indicate that that dollar amount's just too much and it was that was 20 million um so why do you think the hunts are doing this? Like, what do you think? What do you think the owners of FC Dallas are, are trying to do here? I mean, probably just get as much money as they can out of it. 
I don't know if it's any more complicated than that. Um, and you know, I don't, I'm not an expert about like the economics of soccer or anything, but it, it feels like they're being a bit short-sighted to me and that, you know, there's probably more value in uh, establishing themselves as a true pipeline. They kind of are already, uh, but I don't know, this might be a, this might be a trying to get too much money in, in a small situation where there's a lot more to be made uh, further down the road. I did have the chance to communicate with Alexi Lalas on this, and he feels as though FC Dallas are trying to create this splash where they are all of a sudden the club that can move players for that large dollar amount. Um, so I think that's like what they're trying to do. Um, it's not, I, I'm 95% certain it won't work. What do you think they should be doing instead? How do you think they should be structuring this Pepe deal? So uh, I think they should bank on the concept that he is going to be a good player moving forward and that the move he makes right now won't be his last move and probably try to get a nice um, sell-on clause in the, tr- in the contract. I imagine this is present in a lot of the contracts that guys moving out of the MLS sign, but it, it's kind of a like they're, you know, investing in themselves or banking in their own ability to develop players by doing that. So if they're confident that Pepe is going to be super good, well, then it's really likely the move after wherever he goes now is going to be a pretty good money move and try to get a you know, I don't know, 15% sell-on clause or something like that and just bank that money afterward. I I agree. I think the sell-on clause is a great model. I asked that question because you had expressed that to me before, and I think it's such a, a practical way to look at it. And it's such a statement from FC Dallas that they're co- they're so confident in their asset that they're they're willing to put their money where their mouth is. Um, so I don't know if you want to cover off on these subjects, but like, what do you think the fans' role in all of this is? And um, what do you think the media or USSF's role is in all of this? Do you have any opinion there? Or yeah, think, I mean, the, like the fans are just, you know, the fans are hyped up and stuff, and we all have our favorites and whatnot, uh, and can become very myopic based upon our favorites. That you know, I don't know about their role exactly in any of this, aside from sure. just like getting, getting angry and wanting the, either wanting the best for their guy or wanting like some respect for their club. And that is, it's so multi-directional with that kind of thing that it's hard to, you know. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Um, do you have any take on USSF um, and their role in the entire, the entire picture? I mean, we're all with the. I feel like we always come back to this, and it's always hard to pin down exactly what USSF's role might be in anything exactly. Uh, you know, did they purposely play him on the national team because they wanted to up his transfer value to help MLS? I don't know. Probably not, you would think, but maybe kind of. You know, why not play other guys that are pretty good MLS players that, um, don't really get appearances on the national team, a la Brian White or Mahojevic. Uh, it's it's difficult to know. I mean, Pepe's a good player. We wouldn't be talking about him if he he wasn't, you know. And it would be ultra controversial if he would have if he'd be getting this type of uh, you know plaudits without actually being very good. The guy's really good. It's just about the the overhype that is the problem. And I think fans and the you know USSF and the media all kind of contribute to the overhype 
yeah, I I agree with that. Um, I think that basically wraps up the coverage on Ricardo Pepe. At the end of the day, we want him to be successful. Um, I know that I feel this way, and I've made it like very apparent to all those that we interact with that I don't think that this is healthy for him. I think that there's being there's a lot of pressure that's being put on his shoulders, um, and it's I don't know if you just in terms of pressure, if you look at players like Leggett and um, if you look at players like Ariola, they're becoming like the laughing stock of the men's national team fan base, and it's not their fault. They were selected to be part of the men's national team for reasons that are not really valid um, in the fans' eyes. And I don't want Ricardo Pepe falling into a situation, not necessarily within the men's national team fan base, but even worse so within, within any of the clubs that he might be transferred to. Like if he were to go to any of the European clubs with you know significant history and, and very old and um, cultured fan bases and he's unsuccessful and the, the price tag is egregious, it's not going to be good for him. So I just want to, uh, I think I want a practical situation for Pepe. Um, I want him measured the same way that everybody else in the men's national team is measured. And as long as he's put in that situation, I think he's going to be wildly successful. Um, Brian, I don't have a whole bunch of extra coverage. I think we did a really good job getting through the content in a short amount of time. Yeah, as short as we could end up uh, making it. You know, well said with everything on the uh, the Pepe close up there. Uh, you know, just a, a general announcement here. We we think Ricardo Pepe is really good. We just you know try to trying to reel it back a little bit here and look at it from a big picture sense and what we really think is the best for him. And that's really what we hope for because the best thing for Ricardo Pepe inevitably is going to be the best thing for the U.S. men's national team. That's yeah. That's. It's hard to argue that anything else could possibly be the case. Yeah, but uh, I, I think that does kind of wrap us wrap us up for the day. Uh, there's going to be some more midweek EPL action tomorrow. Um, we're going to come at with you with another pod later on this week with a few odds and ends and stuff. But uh, other than that, do you have any closing remarks, Alex? No, I would just say, like, you guys should continue to eat your pork chops. Um, you should not eat your ketchup because Steven Gerrard has shown that eating your ketchup is bad. And not eating it makes you a better person. Um, and from the fellows at DOS Champions, we wish you a fantastic week. Um, happy holidays, and you'll hear from us soon. Ryan, take care, buddy. Good night, everyone.